0: Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be here together with you as we study the Word of God together. Our sermon series, as you saw, is called New Year, New You because it seems like this time of year, everyone's looking for a new start. I really like the music behind that video we just watched because it makes me think of aerobics, right? Uh, All resolutions that I know of all seem to come from a desire to get into shape in some way, physically, mentally, relationally, spiritually feel like January is that time where we feel like it's time to gear up our willpower and work harder and work smarter and work better. Hope for improvement is what fuels us. And the only way we really know how to get there is to try harder. And since for most of us this isn't our first rodeo, every year it can be a little harder to start believing this year it's going to be different, right? But what if the goals that we're setting for ourselves aren't really what we need? What's life actually about? What matters for eternity? If you're looking for a new you this year, I got to tell you there's a greater power available to you than your willpower. And what if I were to tell you the answer to a new you isn't in you working harder, but in living in surrender to a power that's greater than you? Would you want to know more about that? There's a subtitle to our series title, New Year, New You, Becoming Disciples of Jesus. You see, the power to make you new doesn't come from you. It comes from him, from the master at work in us. And to show us that in our text today, Jesus demonstrates that surrender is always the beginning of that transformational journey. In Matthew 3, we see that Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his saving work for us as our Messiah. He started by surrendering his life to God's will for his purpose. And as Jesus was baptized, as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit showed up to empower him to live into that purpose. And then after accomplishing that saving work for us, after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 28 to lead us into our journeys of discipleship by baptizing us into what Jesus did for us in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then from there to teach us what it means to follow. You see, we first need God's promise and his power holding us before we even have the power to become student learners of Jesus. All we can offer at the beginning of that journey is surrender, trusting that he will provide the power And yet so often I think we miss that because we get stuck in this try-harder, hamster-wheel mindset about our own efforts. So today as we're talking about living in the covenant of baptism and what that means for our relationship with God, I want to point out that there are two very different kinds of baptism that we're hearing about. And I want to show you that they have very different purposes today. Because the first one, John the Baptist's baptism of repentance, I think it's something that makes a lot of sense to us. We really can grasp that concept pretty easily because it's kind of like New Year resolutions. We repent of what's bad, we turn to what's good, and we're determined this time around to hold on to the good. But I have to tell you, that kind of baptism in itself doesn't really bring a lot of good news, right? But the second one, baptism into Jesus' death and resurrection in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, That is something that's incredibly hard for us to grasp all that that means for us because it seems way too good to be true that Jesus would give us this power and this identity and this promise even before we've managed to turn our lives around. In this baptism, we honestly only can know its power when we surrender trying to grasp hold of it by our power and just let it hold us. That grace takes a lifetime to even begin to understand, but it's all good news. So two kinds of baptism. And it's really incredibly spiritually important that we understand the difference between those. Because the purpose of the first kind, the baptism of John the Baptist, it was used as a wake-up call to people who were spiritually sleepwalking through life. John was calling, you think you're spiritually doing just fine? That you don't need God's help. To avoid judgment? Really? You people have all done things that are the opposite of holy. You have forgotten God. You've disrespected him by using the name of the Lord of heaven and earth as your word to curse things. You've blown off the Sabbath and sometimes not even bothering to worship him. You've dishonored your parents. You've stolen. You've lusted. You've cheated. You've lied about people and slandered them just because you were mad at them. You've been so jealous of what other people have, their things and their relationships, that you've not only been ungrateful for what you do have, but you've hated them in the process just for having more than you do. And that's only ten of the commandments, people. Must I keep going? (laughs) Wake up! You think you're in good spiritual shape? Who do you think you're fooling? (laughs) Your so-called spiritual fitness has gone completely to flab. It's high time to reboot, and boot camp is in session, you sinners. It's time to repent, wash out the dirt, so move, get ye to the river. That's John the Baptist. (laughs) And sometimes I imagine John as a very unpleasant aerobics instructor. Has anybody else experienced that? But John was really good at his job because his job was to help people realize that they actually needed God to send a savior. His job was not to help people feel good about themselves. It was to wake them up to the truth of what the Bible says, no one is righteous, not even one. And he was so effective that the people flocked down to the water, they were motivated by the knowledge that they were actually not okay, that something needed to change. And when they were baptized in the water, they did it as a sign that they were turning away from what they had been doing and turning toward a new start. And that concept doesn't take a whole lot for us to grasp, right? We can all relate to that, turning over a new leaf, right? But what if the story ended there? This is only the introduction to the story of our salvation. But what if the page never turns from chapter one of the real story and we just keep Learning, living in that introduction over and over and over again without turning the page. Confess, repent, try harder. Confess, repent, try harder. Like some bad version of the movie Groundhog's Day, right? That is no place to get stuck. But I think far too many people have, and they've thought that this is what Christianity is. It's not. That's life before Jesus came. The truth is, when we are spiritually sleepwalking through life, we all need to hear John's message. Because most of the time we think, well, I'm pretty okay. I mean, I'm not perfect, but come on, a sinner? But in those quiet moments of our lives, at 3 o'clock in the morning, when all the mistakes of our day run through our minds, we can't help but notice there's much in us that is less than okay And no matter how much we try to wash up and start over and take a new run at things, it seems like there's only so much dirt we can really wash. And if we don't have any hope that things can change, it seems like the only choice we have is to hide what's broken. Pretend it doesn't matter. It seems like pretend it doesn't matter that trying harder never seems to be enough. And we live our life in this hamster wheel. But God wants so much more for us than that. But getting us over that hurdle into page one to page two, that takes some tough love. And we need to hear John's message so we can face the truth head on that on our own we are unholy people who will be separated from life and from God forever by our sin because that's all the farther our willpower can take us. We can see our need to be better, but we can't make ourselves holy. And when we finally realize that's the truth of our situation, at that moment, lest we hit total despair, it becomes crucially important that the page turns at that moment, turns past the futility of the dead-end story of us looking for hope in our willpower to the brand-new beginning that only comes in the one whose will it was to come to us And give us his power to start a brand new story that's rooted in his grace alone. That's what the baptism into Jesus' work in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means. It means his power is applied to us to move us beyond what we can do to what he can do for us and in us and through us. And if our baptism was just a baptism of repentance like the one John offered, if baptism is our cleaning ourselves up before God, if having a relationship with God depends on us washing away our own sin, how long do you think it would be before we would need another baptism? I think 12 seconds might be a generous estimate. Because a baptism of repentance is something we need constantly. It'd probably be best if we just lived in the shower, right? Right? But lest you think I'm slamming John the Baptist, no, he never thought he was doing something permanent with this baptism of repentance. He only had one purpose, to prepare people for the one who actually comes to make us clean. John said about Jesus, he's so much greater than I am, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And in humble symmetry in John 13, when Jesus was showing his love and purpose to his disciples, he untied their sandals to wash their feet. And he told them, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, the truth is, no matter how much we try to repent and turn ourselves around, we cannot get ourselves clean. We need him to wash us. And in case we miss that, he straight up told us, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Because our repentance isn't enough. Recognizing the problem isn't enough. Being sorry isn't enough. Your work, trying to make yourself better, isn't enough. Only he is enough. And guess what? That's why he came. That's what he came to do for you and for me. It's who he came to be for you, your savior, your hope, your future. And all that you can do in the face of a love like that, an offer like that, is surrender. Get off the hamster wheel and say, Jesus, I need you to do it. That's all you can do. And in the grace of Jesus, that's enough. Because he's enough. Whether you've had a lifetime of doing good things or you've never done a good thing in your life, the same thing is true. Only Jesus can turn the page. And get us into the new chapter, the new story of grace. And that's what Jesus' baptism into his saving work was meant to show us, to remind us, to demonstrate for us that Jesus alone does this for you. And because of Jesus' promise, through the promise of your baptism, you are held in a completely different story than the one that you started in. And I think this is so spiritually important to clarify because I think people get mixed up about this. I think in some ways, sometimes people think about their baptism as something about them choosing to be good or committing to be faithful or something about their, on their own power, to be good enough for salvation. And then when they inevitably fail because they're human beings, as did every one of the disciples at one point or another, they suddenly worry maybe their baptism didn't take or God's grace isn't really for them. But, beloved, the reason you need the covenant of baptism to hold you is because you're a work in progress. If you have been baptized, you were not baptized into your promise to do better and work harder. You were baptized into Jesus' work for you. In fact, you were baptized into his death. And when you're dead, you have no willpower to contribute. And if you're going to come back to life, somebody else has to do it for you. And because Jesus defeated death and made it a way back into life by his resurrection, you can trust that he can and he will do that for you. And that's what the surrender of baptism shows you, that you can trust him to do what you can't do. Baptism is how Jesus shows us he came to join your life with his now and forever, that you're not doing life alone. He's in it with you for the long haul, from life into death, And back into life again, he promises he will not leave you. And that promise is given by the water and the word. And living in the covenant of that baptism, that is a beautiful thing. But I want to pause here and be very clear that the Bible does not say that we are saved by baptism. It says that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So where does faith come in? Well, baptism is the laying down of the promise that holds you. And I believe that Jesus calls us to be baptized as we begin our discipleship journey, whether we begin that journey within a faith family as a baby and grow from there, or we come to know about Jesus as an adult and grow from there, because he knows wherever we are in our humanness, we need something to point to, to help us to know God really promised this to me. Otherwise, we might be tempted to make an idol out of the shifting sand of our ability to believe rather than on the solid rock promise that Jesus gives us. I believe Jesus calls us to be baptized to help create faith in us by reminding us we're saved by his grace through faith, but our faith doesn't create his grace. God's grace creates our faith. See, he loves first, and we respond It really can't happen any other way. And that's why, as some of you might have noticed, Lutherans tend to shy away from the word decide when it comes to describing this relationship with God, that Lutherans generally prefer words like respond or accept or say yes. And there's a reason for that. Because on a daily basis, you and I decide a lot of things that don't involve anybody else. And when I decide something, it's what I do, it's in my power, it's about me, and what you do doesn't need to matter to my decision. But if I'm invited to respond, that tells me immediately someone else acted first. Somebody else invited me into something. Somebody else is waiting to hear how I will react to what they've done. And I can't accept something unless something's being offered to me by someone else. Right? I can't say yes unless someone has first asked me a question. Right? And all of faith starts with what God does in Jesus Christ, because it can't happen any other way. And acknowledging that is part of the surrender. Now you can decide to repent, to turn to God. And that's what John the Baptist was up to in this get ready movement. But if you leave it with your willpower and what you decide for yourself, the page is never going to turn from the intro into the true story. Because baptism in Jesus' name is not about your willpower. It's about Jesus' power. It's not about your power that you need. It's about his power that he (laughs) freely gives and pours into our lives. And that's the good news. It's the good news that we need that will cause us to grow from there. And when we forget that, when we think it's all up to us, we spend all of our spiritual energy treading water, and we start to get exhausted, and then we start to sink. And Jesus whispers, Beloved, just stand up. (laughs) Stop trying to swim. Stand on my promise. And when you do, you find there's a solid rock under your feet, and it's been there all along. That's what baptism is for. It's to remind you your whole life long that this child, this person, that I need the solid rock of what Jesus has done to be my saving hope because there is no other source. And here's where the formation of the new you comes in. Because when we're moved from an idea of John's baptism into the idea of Jesus' baptism, Then all of those things that we notice at our 3 o'clock in the morning times, all those things that we want to confess and repent of and grow past, they're no longer efforts that we're using that we have to solve to try to justify ourselves. That justification has already been taken care of by Jesus. So now they just become opportunities to invite his power to be at work in us. So here's an example of that. Think of a child who broke a toy. Okay, If this child believes the foundation of their relationship with their father is based on them not messing things up, and then they break this toy, what they're going to do is hide it. They're going to try to fix it, or they're going to pretend that they never had it in the first place. They're going to eventually even hide from the father in fear, hoping that he'll never find out that the toy they were given is broken. Because they believe if they broke this toy and they can't fix it, the relationship is broken as well. Over. Do you know people who see God like that? Do you? But if a child knows the foundation of their relationship with the father is in his unshakable love for them, if they know the toy they were given was a gift of his love, when they break it, and they will, their first response is going to be to bring it to him. Daddy, I broke this. Will you help me fix it? And it will become their project together. Working together to see his power mend what was broken and to make things new. And that's the difference between seeing this baptismal covenant relationship with God as something that depends on you and what you bring to God and seeing the baptismal covenant relationship as something that depends on Jesus and what he gives you. The first one is a Groundhog's Day hamster wheel hiding and stressful and despairing life. The second one is a life of love and freedom, and growing, and building life together, not by your power, but by God's power at work in you. And that kind of life of growth, that's what it's meant to be. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the commission to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he immediately follows that up with step two, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always. You see, your faith is meant to grow from when you're baptized into his promise until the day your life on earth ends. And no matter if you started living in the covenant of your baptism when you were a baby, or if it was yesterday, or if it's something that God is just putting on your heart to think about today, what the Lord wants for you is a relationship with him that's going to grow out of his promise for you. R.T. Kendall in his book, Whatever happened to the gospel says every time we gain a fresh insight, our reaction often is, why didn't I see this before? And was I truly converted before then? But new insights are partly what is meant by being changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So what that means is, if you're baptized this year and then next year you have a huge spiritual awakening about who Jesus really is to you, you don't need to be baptized again. That just means the Holy Spirit is doing in you what the Holy Spirit does. Because you weren't baptized into a certain level of your understanding of God, you were baptized into Jesus' promise. And the fact that you're understanding that better as you grow shouldn't be surprising because it means the power of that promise has been tapped. And the Bible tells many stories of conversion to Christian faith, but there isn't one story of rebaptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Bible. The only rebaptism story was in Acts 19 when Paul found people baptized only in John's baptism of repentance. And he told them, oh, you need more power than that. And he baptized them in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit went to work. Now, if you want to remember your baptism, if you want to affirm your baptism, there's certainly ways that we can do that. But God's promise is God's promise, and it holds you fast. We need God's power, not ours, to make us new. So how does this New Year, New You reconstruction project begin in you? Well, if you haven't been baptized, let's talk because I truly believe that this is something Jesus wants for you, to know and to trust that his saving work is for you. And if you have been baptized into the work of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, know that every day there is a power available to you that is greater than you can imagine, to see his work done in you when you surrender, trusting his Holy Spirit to shape your life. Like the hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So this year, I have a New Year, New You challenge for you. This year, try not trying harder. This year, try daily surrender. And come to Jesus, and maybe an example of what you might pray every day is, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, what do you want to do in me today? What do you want to show me today? What do you want to heal in me today? What do you want to recreate in me today? Because I believe the new you the Lord wants to make of you is not a disciple of the hamster wheel, but a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus shows us that transformational journey starts with surrender. I guarantee you, that will be a whole new kind of adventure. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to be our Savior. We thank you for laying down your life for us. And we pray, Lord, as we confess that we need you to be Lord. We need you to be Savior. Lord, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would prepare us for the journey of the new things that you want to do in us and through us. And we pray, Lord, that 2019 will be the year that you will move by your Holy Spirit in powerful ways that we'll cooperate with what it is that you want to recreate in us, and that in all things, Lord, we will know the foundation, the solid rock, is not in us, but it's in you. Thank you, Lord, for claiming us, for calling us, for loving us, for being, Lord. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.